Good morning. We are uh, looking at the life of David this morning. Last week, Riley uh, introed our series for us. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking at David as a young man. We're going to be spending uh, most of our time in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, we find Saul, um, or sorry, not Saul, um, Samuel. Forgive me if I get Saul and David and Samuel mixed up for once in a while. Um, my brain doesn't always work very well. So, Beginning of chapter 16, we find uh, Samuel, and he is grieving. He's uh, uh, upset and in tears, um, and he's just distraught. Um, and uh, so we're going to start by looking at some uh, some background. But first, let's uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather this morning and to encourage and to challenge one another. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit um, would teach us this morning from your Word, Lord, that um, that you would uh, use me to speak your truth, uh, to encourage and challenge uh, your body, Father. Uh, we love you and we desperately need you. We just pray these things in your name. Amen. So, 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel is grieving, and he's grieving over Saul, and uh, so we need to get a little background here. Uh, um, last week, Riley touched on this, uh, but I'd like to go in just a little more depth. So, last, last week, Riley mentioned that the people of Israel... Uh, wanted a king. Up until this point in time, uh, the Lord had been the king of Israel. Um, but Israel decided, you know, we want, we want to be like everyone else. In 1 Samuel 8, they said uh, to Samuel, Now appoint for us a king to judge over us like all the nations. Samuel, we want to be like everybody else. Everyone else has a king that sits over them and judges them. Our king is invisible. You can't see him. We want to be like everyone else. We want to have a king. So the Lord says to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being king over them. 1 Samuel 8, 7. But Samuel warns the people, he says, You guys, you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking for this king. He's going to rule over you. He's going to take your sons and they're going to be in his army and they're going to work in his fields and he's going to take your daughters and they're going to be his cooks and his maids and he's going to take the best fields and the best vineyards and he's going to tax you. It's not going to be this great thing that you think it is. But the people said... The, the people refused to obey, uh, to hear Samuel. And uh, Samuel said... In the day that you cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. It says, but the people, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So the Lord says, "All right, Samuel, choose for them a king. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose him, and you go and you anoint him." And so 
we find the Lord chooses Saul. Why does the Lord choose Saul? Scripture says that he was a handsome young man, that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. 1 Samuel 9. Saul was your typical tall, dark, and handsome young man. When you looked at Saul... Brett Hoban. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got the dark though, right? Yeah. So he looks, you look at Saul and you think, yeah, of course, that's our king. He looked like a king. When Saul was brought before the people, they accepted him. Yes, of course, this is our king. Look at him. He looks like a king. From all outward appearances, Saul looked like the king that Israel wanted. He was perfect, right? And yet the Lord goes on to reject Saul as king. It's an interesting twist of events because the Lord chooses him, he anoints him, and then he rejects him. And why? Because he would not obey the Lord. Because he would not obey the Lord. We find the final straw and the point in which the Lord says to Saul, I reject you. And in um, 1 Samuel um, 15, right before this, the Lord instructs Saul to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He says, I remember that when you were in the wilderness and, and they, they um, came upon you, and if you look back in Exodus 17, you'll find the story of when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and the Malachites attacked them. And it's the story when Moses goes up on the mountain and when his arms are lifted up in the air, Joshua and the people are, are winning and when his arms are down, the Amalekites are winning. And so his... His servant, or, uh, his servant Aaron and her, his brother Aaron and his servant her, hold up his arms throughout the whole battle so that finally Joshua prevails over the Amalekites. And it says in Exodus 17, 8, 18-16 is the story, and in, uh, in verse 14 it says, The Lord says to Moses, Write this in a memorial, in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek, from under heaven. So the Lord makes the promise to the children of Israel that one day I will utterly blot out the Amalekites from the memory of the world. And that day's come. He instructs Saul to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Everyone, he says, kill everyone in the whole town. Kill all the animals. Destroy everything. Leave nothing. So Saul goes. He destroys everyone. But he doesn't kill the king. He brings Agag, King Agag, back. And he also keeps the best of the sheep, the oxen, the calves, and the lambs. And it says anything that was good. But everything that was worthless, they destroyed. Oh, well, good job, Saul. <laughs> that took a lot of thinking, didn't it? Well, that's worthless. Let's destroy it. That looks nice and pretty. Let's keep it. But that's not what the Lord told him to do, was it? Why was this so important to the Lord, do you think? Other than the Lord wants you to obey His voice. 
He was keeping his promise. The Lord had promised to the people of Israel. He'd said to Moses, he had said to Joshua, one day I will utterly blot out the Amalekites, destroy them, no memory of them on the face of the earth, because they will be utterly destroyed. And so that's what he asked Saul to do. But Saul doesn't do it. The Lord had made this promise of what was going to be done, and Saul doesn't do it. He disobeys. Samuel comes to see Saul after the battle. And Saul has the audacity to say to Samuel, Oh, hi, Samuel. I have done what the Lord asked me to do. And I love this line. Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen that I hear? Oh, really, Saul? Then why do I hear sheep and oxen? Did you bring some sheep along to help you fight the battle? And Saul says, oh no, that was just the best of the oxen, the sheep, and you know, we were going to sacrifice them to the Lord. And I love this. Samuel says to Saul, he says, stop. Just stop, Saul. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, Samuel says to him, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination, and presumption is is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. The Lord says, you know what? Or Samuel says, you know what, Saul? God cares more about you obeying than sacrificing. And sacrificing was important, wasn't it? That was an instruction the Lord had given the people. But he says, I don't, the Lord doesn't want your empty afterthoughts, Saul. He wants you to obey what he said. He wants you to be obedient. Aaron. Say you asked Kylie to, um, she's coloring. You say, Kylie, stop coloring. You need to go up and clean your room because it's a mess. You come back a few minutes later and she comes up and she says, Daddy, look, I drew you a pretty picture. It's like, oh, thanks, that's nice. Did you go clean your room? No. The picture's nice, right? It's a nice gesture, but you didn't ask her to draw you a picture. In fact, you asked her to stop drawing and to go clean her room. You want her to be obedient, right? Right. Even as though the picture's a nice gesture to you, the fact of the matter is that you asked her to do something and her responsibility is to obey. And that's what the Lord had said to Saul. You know what, Saul? Sacrificing is important, but I asked you to obey. I want your obedience. Your obedience is more important to me than anything else. I don't want you to do what you think is best, Saul. I want you to do what I say is best. And he goes right out. He says it's rebellion. He says it's just like witchcraft. It's a pretty strong statement. To disobey me, to rebel against me, is just as bad as witchcraft. Presumption. To think that you know better than me, Saul. Do you think that you know your way is better than my way is sin. It's idolatry. You're putting yourself above me. You're thinking your will, your desires are higher than my own. And it's wrong. And the fact of the matter is, the sad thing is we do that all the time, don't we? 
We say, Lord, I know what Your Word tells me to do, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to do what seems better to me. Or, Lord, I know what Your Word tells me not to do, but, Lord, you know what? I'm going to do my way, which seems better to me. But then we come to church and we say, Oh, oh, but Lord, you know, I, I come to church every Sunday. I worship You. Don't You like that? I sing things like, You're the best. You're all I want. I surrender all. Nothing compares to You. Everything I do, I do it for You. Sound a little like Saul, don't we? He doesn't want our empty words. He doesn't want our empty actions. He wants our true obedience. Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees in the New Testament. Confronting their empty religion, He says to them, Go and find what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And it was an insult to the Pharisees for the Lord to say, Go and find what this means. The men that were supposed to know the religion, the men that were supposed to be the teachers, he says, go and find what this means. I don't want your empty religion. I don't want your empty actions. I don't want your empty words. I want you to obey me. He does not want to be an afterthought. Do you really think that the soldiers, the Israelites, as they were going through the camp, plundering these good things were really thinking, oh, this would be good to offer to the Lord. Do you really think that was their thought? I don't think so. I don't think so. When they saw that beautiful lamb, they wanted it. Not for the Lord, but for themselves. And so, like we always do, we find the root of our disobedience is our self, our flesh, our own desires putting our, our wants, our desires, our will above that of the Lord. So the Lord says to Saul, I have rejected you as king. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, I have rejected you as being king. So Saul, he says, oh, you know, I've sinned, I'm sorry, Samuel, come with me, let me worship the Lord, let me repent. And Samuel says, no, Saul, it's too late. Samuel turns to leave and Saul grabs at his robe and tears it. And Samuel turns around and he says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And he has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. For Samuel 15.28 The Lord had given them Saul, I think, to show them how foolish they were. And he's going to go on to make this point in a minute. But from outward appearances, Saul seemed like the perfect king, didn't he? He looked like a king. But the Lord says, now let me show you what a true king looks like. And this is where we come and we find David. David's a very young man. And this is where we start in chapter 16, back to where Samuel's upset. Samuel is just distraught over Saul. And the Lord comes to Samuel in chapter 16 and verse 1, and He says, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. It's over, Samuel. Fill your lamp, get up, let's go. I have chosen another king. So Samuel goes, he goes into Bethlehem, and he meets with Jesse and with his family. And in uh, verse 16, we see uh, that Jesse brings his sons and presents them before Saul. And his first first son comes in, and Samuel sees him. Eliab, I believe is how you say it, but I'm not quite sure. But that's what we're going to go with. Verse 6, it says, And when he came in, talking about Samuel, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance or the height of his statue, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But Samuel had made the same mistake again. He sees this man and he thinks, Look at him. Surely this is the king. Again, he looks like a king. I mean, Samuel had never even met the guy before, right? And from the first moment he sees him, of outward appearances, Samuel thinks, of course, this is a king. He looks like a king. And if you get anything this morning, I want you to take a hold of this truth. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This really struck me uh, this weekend as I I was studying. Because... I think oftentimes when I imagine the Lord looking at me, I think that He's just kind of looking at me, right? But no, I I truly believe that when the Lord looks on me, He doesn't look at my flesh. He doesn't look at my bones. He doesn't see the physical me because the Lord does not look on the outward appearances. He looks on the heart. And man, is that a sobering thought, isn't it? Because for us, it's so easy to look upon one another and see the outward appearances, and we don't see the darkness of one another's hearts, do we? We don't truly see the sin and the evil that is within each and every one of us, because we probably wouldn't get along too well if we did, would we? But the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks upon our hearts. And that's what He sees. Very sobering thought. And yet that's the, that's the central idea of our salvation, isn't it? Because when the Lord does look on us, He sees our sin, He sees our iniquity, doesn't it? And that's why we can't stand in His presence. But this morning we can rejoice in the fact that Christ came and He died and His blood covers us. And Scripture says that no longer will the Lord look on us directly, but He sees us through His Son. Yeah. So that one day as it says in Colossians, that we will, I think it's Colossians, that we will stand before Him holy and blameless and above reproach. Not of our own doing, but because of the work of Christ. It's magnificent, isn't it? But the Lord says to Samuel, this isn't the guy. I've rejected him from being king. This is not the man. So, so the Lord says to Samuel, He may look like a king. 
but he is not a man after my own heart. Just like Saul, who sought his own way and not mine. And even from the beginning, days after Saul had been anointed king, he disobeyed God. One of the first things Saul did was disobey God. He acts rashly and foolishly, and he does not trust God's timing. 1 Samuel 13, Samuel says to Saul, he says, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out, sought out a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over His people, because you have not kept the Lord what the Lord commanded you. In Acts chapter 13, Luke talks about this same thing about Saul and about David. And he says, For they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. So what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, he says it right there. He says, one who will do all of my will. One who will obey me. A man who is inclined to obey God. A man who puts God above his own will. A man who says to the Lord, I know what you have told me to do, and this I will do. I will obey you. So Jesse brings all of his other six sons before Samuel, and each one the Lord says, I have not chosen this one. So Samuel's seen seven of his sons, and he says, Is there any more? And he says, well, yes, we have our youngest son, David, but he's out in the field tending the sheep. So Samuel instructs him to go and get David and bring him before him. And in verse, verse 12 of chapter 16, it says, He sent and brought him in. Now he, was a ruddy and, uh, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Lord had chosen David to be his new king, not because of David's outward appearance, and yet we see that even David was still uh, a handsome young man, but it was not the outward appearance that the Lord was looking upon, it was his heart. But David doesn't take the throne right away. It's going to be many years before David actually sits on the throne as the king of Israel. Um, at this moment, David's probably fairly young. Uh, not quite sure his age, but you know he's probably 13 or 14. Uh, pretty big thing to have the prophet of Israel show up at your home and anoint you as king, isn't it? And yet it seems that David takes it all in stride. Um, and we see this, this heart that the Lord talks about. And in a wonderful twist of irony, the Lord in His providence arranges for David 
this shepherd boy to be introduced into the palace of the king. Samuel 16:14 it says now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so this harmful spirit from the Lord comes and torments Saul and his servants say to Saul, you know, Saul, why don't we bring someone in who can who can play for you uh when you're when you're tormented and soothe your soul. Uh, they say we and we know just the young man. We know a young man who's very skilled at playing the lyre, um, and his name is David. And so David comes and he brings his lyre. A lyre is a stringed instrument, um, similar to that of a harp. Looks like a mini harp. They say it was probably somewhat of a cross between a, a guitar and a harp. But David brings his lyre and he comes into the court of the king and he plays for the king. And it says that when the harmful spirit was upon Saul, David played the lyre, and Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit would depart from him. David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. Kind of a, a crazy twist, isn't it? Saul not knowing that God's anointed king is this young man in his presence. This young man that he's made his armor bearer, this young man that sits and plays for him, is the one that is to take his throne, the one that God has chosen over him. And David, knowing full well that God had chosen him as the anointed king, and yet it seems that David was willing to wait on God's timing, to trust the Lord that he was willing to joyfully serve Saul, the man sitting on his rightful throne, because he trusted that the Lord was in control. Man, that would take a true man of integrity and humility, wouldn't it? Man, I don't know if I could do that, to sit there in the presence of the man knowing that the throne was rightfully mine because God had given it to me. And yet David trusts true character a while later we come to uh, chapter 17 and we find a very familiar story we find the story of David and Goliath David not only was a man of true integrity and humility but David was a man of courage and a man of faith and we see this very evidently in the story so we find Israel and they're encamped on a mount and the Philistines are encamped on the mount on the other side, and there's a valley in between. And so the Philistines come up with this rather smart idea, and they say, you know, why, why all of us fight when we've got a sure win? Let's just send Goliath. And so they send Goliath, and Goliath is a giant. You know, we've all heard this. Huge man. Scripture says that he was over nine and a half feet tall and that he wore a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds, and he carried a huge spear with an iron tip that weighed 15 pounds. He was just a giant man. I mean, huge. I can't imagine someone that large. I was trying to figure out if we brought, like, Brett up here and maybe one of the kids, if we could find, like, some scale system of, of what he would have looked like compared to, to David. 
So Goliath comes out, and in Samuel 17, verse 8, it says, He stood and he shouted before the ranks of Israel. He says, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? I am not... Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. For forty days Goliath did this. For forty days he came out every day and he taunted Israel and he spoke his challenge to them. And no one from Israel, not one man, stepped forward to, my, to, to fight Goliath, to meet Goliath. They were afraid. Not even Saul, not even the king himself was willing to step forward and face Goliath. In fact, the king began to bribe his soldiers. He offered them riches. He he offered them his daughter's hand in marriage. I mean, you know, part of the royal family. How magnificent would that be? He offered them that uh, their family would be exempt from paying taxes forever. Some pretty nice bribes, huh? And yet still no man was willing to step up and fight Goliath. David was not there. He was at home. He was too young. David's three older brothers were there uh, with Saul in the camp. But David was at home tending the sheep. And David's father decides uh, to send David over and to, to check up on his brothers to see how they are doing, to take them some food. So uh, he gives him, he gives David food and he sends him on his way and tells him to, to go and to see his brothers and bring back word from them to the family and to deliver them uh, this food. So David goes and he, he meets his brothers. Um, and while he's there, while he's talking to them, uh, lo and behold, Goliath comes out like he does every day uh, and he declares his challenge to the people of Israel. And it says that the men heard it and they ran away in fear. But David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? <laughs> Who does this guy think he is, says David? He's not taken aback by him. He's not afraid. He says, we are the people of the living God. David goes around and talks to the people and he even says, the king's even offered a great reward to go up against him. What, what are you people waiting for? Why has no man gone against him? So word gets to Saul that David's there saying these things and Saul calls him. Oh, but first, this is, this is good. David's eldest brother obviously embarrassed by David's courage, <laughs> insults David. He says, I know the evil intentions of your heart. I know why you came. You just wanted to come see the battle. You, you probably even left the sheep unattended up there. And yet David says, what, what did I do? What did I say? And instead of 
fighting back with his brother, he goes on his way. But, the, but Saul calls David to his, den, to his tent. And in verse 32, this is what David says to the king. He says, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Can you imagine Saul's surprise? He's surrounded by hundreds of his soldiers, men that are supposed to be valiant and courageous. And for 40 days, no one has had the courage to come before Saul and say, I'll go, Saul. I'll fight him. And here comes this young man. We don't know how old he was, maybe 17, 18. Stands before Saul and says, Let the people take courage. I will go and fight Goliath. And Saul says, David, you can't go. You're just a young man. You're just a youth. Goliath has been a man of war from his youth. This is, this is his life. This is what he's done all his life. He's trained and fought and killed people. You can't do this. You can't go up against him. And in verse 34, David says to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Man, what courage. I don't know about you, but facing a lion or a bear even seems a little more frightening to me than a nine-foot man, although I've never seen a nine-foot man, so maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'd have to stand before a big grizzly bear and a nine-foot man, and then I could give you an answer. I don't know if I'd r- really want to do either. Um, you know, if I was a shepherd and a lion came and snagged a lamb and ran off with it, you know... <laughs> See you later, buddy. (laughs) Enjoy your snack. But David says, I went after it. I struck him. And then if he turned back and turned on me, I grabbed him by his beard and I beat him and killed him. What? (laughs) Seriously? But David was a man after God's own heart. And the Lord rewarded that, didn't he? He protected him. He gave him strength. He gave him courage. And David fully trusted on the Lord, knowing that he would save him, that he would bring him through. He says, The Lord who gave me victory, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I don't know, Saul either moved by David's courage or desperate for something to happen to resolve the situation, says, all right, David, you can go. I will send you uh, to meet Goliath. And remember now, the deal was if David lost, the people of Israel were going to have to be their servants. So you know that had to be on Saul's mind. He's, He's probably thinking okay, David's going to go, he's going to die, and then we're going to have to fight because, of course, we don't want to be their servants. It's going to be a battle. 
And so Saul, in an attempt to improve the odds, gives David his armor. And whether it doesn't fit, which is probably likely, Saul was the tallest man, it said, and David's just a youth, or you know whether David felt it was restrictive, or the fact that David had probably never worn armor before and really didn't know how to move around in it and function in it, says, you know, I can't do this, Saul. <laughs> I haven't tried it out. This isn't going to work. So he takes it off, and he just goes without the armor, carrying five stones and his sling, just a shepherd boy, to meet this giant. And we all know the story. David walks out to meet Goliath. It says, The Philistine looked and saw David, and he disdained him, for he was but a youth. Verse 43, he says, Am I a dog that you come at with, 